Tonight, Canada's largest journalist union launches an official campaign against Aaron O'Toole. It's August 3rd, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. So Canada's largest private sector union, which is also Canada's largest journalist union, it's called Unifor, they represent thousands of reporters who will be involved with covering the upcoming federal election, whether it's on-camera newsreaders or the producers who write the scripts for the newsreaders or the editors choosing and assigning the stories, even the photo editors deciding which pretty pictures to use and which ugly pictures to use. That union has come out with an attack ad against Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative Party leader. It's pretty weird to have news reporters pay for an ad out of their own union dues to take sides in an election that they're going to cover. It would be like if sports reporters all endorsed one team in a competition or a tournament, if they were betting on the outcome. And not just an editorial endorsement, but actually spending their own money to cheer one team and to tear down the other. And then they went on TV and gave color commentary about the very sports contest in which they took a side, maybe placed a bet. Here's the ad. The next model of conservative is here. Meet the 2021 O'Toole, ready to steer Canada in the wrong direction. Engineered by big corporations to leave us behind. Driven to cut health care and public services, just like Jason Kenney. Another out-of-touch politician at a price we can't afford. Meet the 2021 O'Toole. New name, same old conservative. You know, I don't think it's a very strong ad. I'll talk to him about it more in a moment. But just about the ad itself, I don't have a lot of time for Aaron O'Toole. He's pro-carbon tax. He's pro-lockdown, or at least hasn't done anything to oppose it. He's pro-open borders for immigration, even though he's pro-lockdown for citizens. He's pro-CBC, and he's pro-censorship. On that last point, you know, it's been almost a week since Justin Trudeau and Stephen Gilbo released the worst censorship proposal in the free world. With harsher penalties, more powers, deeper regulation than anything else outside of unfree countries like Cuba or Iran. And neither O'Toole nor his critic on the file, Alain Reyes, has so much as said a word about it. Nothing. I can understand taking one day to read the fine print, though we all knew what was coming for months, years actually. And that's not what's happening. They're really not opposing it almost a week into it now. O'Toole is putting out statements every few hours reminiscing about the Calgary Stampede and a winery he toured in the Okanagan. And he's got something to say about Prince Edward Island potatoes, but not a word about the largest censorship program in Canadian history. The last word on it is this speech from his critic calling for more censorship. But, on, on le voit pas dans le... but we don't see it in the bill. There's nothing in this bill that allows for the regulation of social media or platforms like YouTube. And it's clear, we, uh, we would have liked to have seen this in the bill. The minister even says we have to find a way of uh, uh, preventing hate speech, uh, conspiracy uh, theories, and uh, fake news that's uh, shared. But right now in the bill, unfortunately, uh, we won't even be able to amend it in that aspect. 
and because it's simply absent from the bill. Yeah, can you please tell me, serious question asked in good faith, can you please tell me what the difference is between the Aaron O'Toole conservatives and the Trudeau liberals? Seriously, other than blue team, red team, is there any difference? But back to the ad. It seems silly and too clever by half. The whole meme, a truck that's falling apart, feels like some ad agency guy in Toronto came up with an idea to impress his friends. I'm just not sure it's going to resonate or be effective. I think it's just for Unifor and the bailout journalists who work for it to signal to Trudeau that they're on his side and that Trudeau will like it. And so he should keep showering them with money. In a way, it's like everything Unifor journalists do. It's not really for their readers or viewers. It's for one viewer, the guy who pays the annual bailout to them. It's all of them, by the way, even the National Post, which started as an explicitly conservative newspaper about 23 years ago. Did you know that just last month their reporters voted to join a far-left union and got a bargaining agreement? Unifor just signed a labor agreement with them last month that is so left-wing, so woke, it specifically includes racial preferences for hiring reporters. Other than Rex Murphy and Conrad Black, who are both despised by most of the staff there. Is there any reason to read the National Post anymore? It's so sad, and I say that as someone who was on their editorial board for two years near the beginning. So you've got the National Post, and most daily newspapers across the country. You've got the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, the Toronto Sun. You've got CTV, Global News, Sing Tao, the Chinese newspaper, Maclean's Magazine, the London Free Press, Ontario's TVO, provincial state broadcaster, almost everyone. Oh, by the way, the rival journalism union, the Canadian Media Guild, also runs anti-conservative campaigns. Also, as to the ad itself, I think it's sort of dumb. But surely it wasn't designed to appeal to me. It's designed to mock people like me, mock people like you. I don't drive a pickup truck, but it's clear that the message of Unifor is that only stupid yokels drive pickup trucks. I wonder if it's a coincidence that Marcus G., a Globe and Mail columnist where Unifor runs the place. Just last week wrote a bizarre op-ed called Pickup Trucks Are a Plague on Canadian Streets. I see that same message in other media too. Here's something in City News out of Edmonton. Um, here's another. Here's Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster on the same theme. So are all these news stories, is it news that pickup trucks are evil? Because they're not marked as political ads, even though some of them are run in uniform media, but why should they be marked as ads? I mean, are they ads or are they real journalistic editorials? I don't know. Like I say, almost every political reporter in Canada is a member of a union, either Unifor or the Canadian Media Guild, whose members vote to spend their own union dues attacking conservatives. So in the morning, they use their own money to make an attack ad like that one. And then in the afternoon, they run an unbiased, objective, fair news story about the same issue, the same talking points about pickup trucks, sure. And they're never marked as ads. Are they ads? There's never a disclaimer. You know, uh, the Calgary Herald, which is part of the branch plant of Post Media, it's the Calgary office, they, they ran a weird editorial the other day demanding that lockdowns be brought back in Alberta, saying that Alberta was throwing children under the bus by allowing them to return to school as normal. I wondered who wrote that. It was signed by Shauna McDonald, who they described as a Calgary mother of two. And I'm sure that's accurate, but that's not quite the totality of who Shauna McDonald is. It's probably not her defining characteristic in regards to this op-ed. 
She just happens to be the boss of a major PR firm called Brookline, whose clients include lockdown profiteers like Amazon.com, as well as various government or quasi-government clients. Why did Trudeau's Calgary Herald run her pro-lockdown op-ed without disclosing her real identity and her client list? Or, or was this a paid ad? And if so, why wasn't it marked as an ad? Why did they hide who she really is? That Unifor ad against Aaron O'Toole is a bit anti-Western and a bit anti-working class. It's also a weird attack on pickup trucks, which are made by some Unifor members. None of that's a surprise. It's designed to appeal to Eastern Canadian prejudices against Western things and conservative things, even though Aaron O'Toole isn't Western or conservative himself. But my main beef with that ad is it was bought and paid for by the activists and donors who go on TV and say with a straight face that they're reporters. And we're calling it like we see it. We're not biased. We're neutral. The, the guys at Rebel News are the partisan ones. <laughs> what a laugh. What a laugh. No wonder so few Canadians trust the media anymore. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, I never am unamazed. I'm always amazed by how Democrats manage just to brazen it through whatever the scandal is. My jaw dropped a few months back when it was Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, who was in a photo, and I'm not quite sure which one it was, if it was him in the Klan outfit or him in blackface. Either way, not a good look for someone from Virginia. Well, he toughed it out, and he remains the governor of Virginia. We've seen the same in our own country here. Justin Trudeau basically admitted to sexually assaulting Rose Knight in Creston, B.C. But when he was asked about it, he just said, well, she experienced it differently. Remember that? This lesson that we are learning in, and I'll be blunt about it, often a man experiences an interaction as being benign or not inappropriate, and a woman, uh, particularly in a professional context, can experience it differently, and we have to respect that. Which is why the news that Governor Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York State, has been found by a Democrat attorney general to have systematically harassed and groped women in his orbit, I am quite certain that he'll weather the storm as all leftists do, deny nothing, explain nothing, just keep on trucking and what's the media going to do after a day or so. Uh, I uh, want to show you a little bit of that. And remember, this is the man that Joe Biden was seriously considering making his attorney general, a man whose daily press conferences about the pandemic won him an Emmy Award, a man that pundits on the left said, turned them into Cuomo-sexuals. Little did they know that Cuomo-sexual, well, that's what he is. Here, take a listen to the Attorney General. Using pieces of evidence reveal a deeply disturbing yet clear picture. Governor Cuomo sexually harassed current and former state employees in violation of both federal and state laws. The Independence investigation found that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, many of whom were young women, by engaging in unwanted groping, kisses, 
hugging and by making inappropriate comments. Further, the governor and his senior team took actions to retaliate against at least one former employee for coming forward with her story, her truth. Governor Cuomo's administration fostered a toxic workplace that enabled harassment and created a hostile work environment where staffers did not feel comfortable coming forward with complaints about sexual harassment due to a climate of fear. Well, do you think that's going to stop him? Do you think he's going to resign? Here's a little bit more from the press conference today. Breakdown as to what had happened, and they were the ones that reported the conduct to attorneys in the executive chamber. The governor also several times inappropriately touched a state trooper assigned to the unit to protect the governor. In an elevator, while standing behind the trooper, he ran his finger from her neck down her spine and said, hey, you. Another time, she was standing holding the door open for the governor. As he passed, he took his open hand and ran it across her stomach from her belly button to where she, the hip where she keeps her gun. She told us that she felt completely violated to have the governor touch her, as she put it, between her chest and her privates. The governor also inappropriately touched women who were attending work-related events at which the governor made remarks. At one event in September 2019, while having his picture taken with an employee of a state entity, the governor grabbed this young woman's butt. At another event in May of 2017, the governor pressed and ran his fingers across the chest of a woman while reading the name of her company, whose logo was on her chest. The governor also engaged in a widespread pattern of subjecting women to unwanted hugs and kisses and touching them in ways that made them uncomfortable. You know, it's something about these male feminists. Whenever someone says so noisily that they're a male feminist, well, there's just a chance that they're preemptively trying to head off your criticism of their actual sexual misconduct. I refer, of course, to Harvey Weinstein, the Democrat male feminist from Hollywood, and Bill Clinton, who's credibly been accused of rape. Well, uh, Andrew Cuomo, perhaps in concert with his CNN brother, Chris Cuomo, thought the best way to defend against these charges was to say, hey, I grope everybody. This is a video he released today. The New York Times published a front page picture of me touching a woman's face at a wedding and then kissing her on the cheek. That is not front page news. I've been making the same gesture in public all my life. I actually learned it from my mother and from my father. It is meant to convey warmth, nothing more. Indeed, there are hundreds, if not thousands of photos of me using the exact same gesture. I do it with everyone, black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, powerful people, friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street. After the event, the woman told the press that she took offense at the gesture. And for that, I apologize. 
Another woman stated that I kissed her on the forehead at our Christmas party and that I said, ciao, Bella. Now, I don't remember doing it, but I'm sure that I did. I do kiss people on the forehead. I do kiss people on the cheek. I do kiss people on the hand. I do embrace people. I do hug people, men and women. I do on occasion say, ciao, Bella. On occasion, I do slip and say sweetheart or darling or honey. Yeah, I'm not sure if that works. That doesn't quite answer the way he treated the women as described by the investigations. Here to help figure this out is a lifelong New Yorker, our friend Pamela Geller, the author and editor of the GellerReport.com. Great to see you, Pamela. What do you make of this? Do you think he's going to brazen it out like so many Democrats before him? I don't think Andrew Cuomo is capable of not brazing it out. I mean, listen, first of all, you have to understand the atmosphere, the zeitgeist in New York. New York politics is a sewer. It's not new. You have to understand this is the city of Tammany Hall and Boss Tweed. This is the city that actually voted to secede from the union to stand with the South. We have always politically been on the wrong side of history. And once again, we see power without accountability. The idea that he was grabbing asses, I'm sorry, that's what he was doing. I mean, we had a situation where a um, an overheard conversation between two macho guys became a cause celeb across the world over something that, let's say, President Trump said. This guy, uh, you know, there were 179 witnesses that testified in this investigation. Letitia James, who has made it her career to chase President Trump, she wants his tax returns and all this, uh, is not indicting. She says she believes this woman. They provided a report with ample proof, ample evidence. If not her, who? And, you know, it reminds me of when Michelle Obama held up a sign and tweeted it out, bring back our girls. Excuse me? You're the power. We tweet to you, because we have no power. We just say, hey, help. You're, you're in the White House. And the same thing goes with Governor Cuomo. This idea that I use the word sweetheart, we're not talking about that. He's a real predator. And when he was denying it, he, I couldn't help the hairs on my back, the back of my neck standing up because he literally sounded like those child pedophiles saying, she liked it, you know, I, I was making her happy. She loves me. She loves me. I was being gentle. It's like she wanted exactly the same thing. I, that he's not kicked out on his keister is indicative of the low state of this double standard. He calls it a political bias. This, the man that demanded that Kavanaugh be investigated, that said, in a 2013 tweet that there should be a zero tolerance policy. He should be resigning. And the fact that his brother, Fredo, Chris Cuomo, drafted statements for, for his embattled brother, um, it, it honestly, also points to a firing. He should absolutely be fired. But listen, the Crescent News Network, CNN, the corrupt news network, is never going to do the right thing or the decent thing. They don't have to. They don't answer to anybody. And worse still is the the spineless, gutless rhinos that do nothing. Even here in New York, you know, there's a congressional delegation that wants to remove him. But the Democrats won't even let 
the Republicans uh, parlay or be members of, of this commission. It's just, it's, we're choking. We are mm. choking to death under this yoke of totalitarianism. That's the only way it is. And those girls, they suffered for a long time because you know what? You have to be a martyr to the Democrat cause. We saw that when we saw these young BDS activists going over to Gaza and getting raped and getting molested, but they were told, don't say anything because it'll, it'll, it'll make them, you know, it'll make them look bad. So you're supposed to sacrifice yourself in the cause of the, the Democrat agenda. It's, to me, it, it was shocking. Her press conference, uh, Attorney General James, and then his denial. Uh, I, I'm sorry. It's just glaring. It's gl it's a glaring example to the American people of just how uh, double standard uh, uh, governance that we're suffering under. Yeah, I mean, she clearly, Letitia James, the Attorney General, clearly said that he broke a number of laws, and yet if she's not proceeding against him, if that's what I'm understanding from you, then it's obvious that this is designed for her to save face, for her to say, I am still on the hunt for predators, but not to actually make a difference, not to hold him to account, certainly not to dislodge him. And it reminds me, I mean, great point of um, Michelle Obama holding up a sign, bring back our girls, who are you talking to? And it reminds <laughs> me when James Comey issued his report on the Hillary Clinton emails and said, yeah, uh, she broke a lot of rules here, but you know, what can you do? I, it, there's something uh, shocking about people in power who have the ability to do something to say, well, what do you know? It looks pretty bad. If only someone would have done something. I, I think the whole thing is designed to have a bump in the road for him and it'll blow over in 48 hours and it'll be done. I think that's. I think it's another Ralph Northam. It's another lesson in people uh, with the right political identity just getting a pass from all the rules. And we see once again that the feminist movement is a phony movement mm -hmm. when it comes when it comes to women's rights. I mean, real real women's rights, whether it's not wanting to wear a hijab, yes, um, or coming out against a popular leftist uh, figure, an iconic figure. Uh, once again, one must sacrifice themselves. One must throw themselves under the bus in the cause of Democrat totalitarianism. We see that time and time again. The fact that President Biden, and I use that in quotes, um, uh, hasn't made a statement. And she was asked, Jen, Jen was asked, circle back Jen was asked. And I'm sure circle back Jen will circle back. Uh, but the idea that there's just no accountability and there's no outrage, and this is just a, a you know another news story, like you said, a bump in the road, this guy should be relegated to the fringes of society. Uh, but no, it's the truth tellers that are marginalized, demonized, libeled, slandered, and relegated to the absolute fringes of society. And by the way, that hasn't changed. All yeah, this talk yeah. about cancel culture, all this talk, you and I were canceled, okay, in 2006. Let, let's, let's talk straight. This has been going on mm -hmm. for a long time. And because it was ignored, because it was sanctioned, we are, we're at this point now. Nothing Nothing is, mm -hmm. is static. Everything is fluid. And so, you know, you let Andrew Cuomo get away with this, ladies, then you're going to get it more. And I'm, the only thing I'm surprised he didn't say was, well, you know, her skirt was very short. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's incredible to me now. Of course, Kamala Harris got her start, her breakthrough in politics by having an affair with an older Democrat. And I raise that only in that 
we had some Democratic women go to authorities here, just like some Democrat or some actresses in Hollywood complained about Harvey Weinstein. But there were others who didn't complain. They made the deal. They, they said, all right. I, I mean, we don't know who went further than a grope with Governor Cuomo. It sounds to me like he was propositioning anything uh, in sight. And we know about the women who objected to it, but we don't know who got an appointment to high office to, to I mean, the governor has an enormous power in who he appoints to what position. Um, we don't know who took the deal, so to speak, the casting couch deal, the way Kamala Harris did, the way actresses with Harvey Weinstein did. I don't know. I, I find this uh, troubling in a number of ways. And I think the, the worst part is that the Me Too movement was a fraud from the beginning. It was, it was about men that were not powerful, but anyone who had true power, Bill Clinton to this day, remains immune to it. I find it depressing. Last word to you, Pamela. Uh, it's more than depressing. First of all, I think Andrew Cuomo is a deeply sick man. Uh, he couldn't keep his hands off of anything. I'm so, I wouldn't be surprised if he had an inflatable doll in his office. Huh. He was an animal. No, he really, he, look how many women. And to your point, I mean, Kamala Harris was the original, the OG super spreader. I mean, she's notorious. She has a very, very, um, what euphemism should I, flamboyant reputation. And again, to your point, where are the feminists? That's okay. Screwing your way up the ladder is okay. Uh, no, it's not. And it makes it particularly hard for women that are straight, and I'm not talking about in a sexual way. I'm talking about in their dealings that, you know, want to get ahead on a meritocracy, want to get ahead on the hard work that they do. Again, feminist failure. So uh, I think we should all watch this very carefully uh, and, and take away from it that we are not represented. And we have to, A, ensure elections because he will get elected again because this state is completely and utterly corrupt. If you go, and I do, and vote, many times there's not even a Republican in the in, in the GOP column. Hmm. The, yeah, they, we don't even exist in this state. Hmm. And I can tell you that I wish they did an audit in this state because I, I, Trump got, I don't know if he won, but every person that I spoke to on my line, every Uber driver, every delivery person, every person that works, I'm not talking about the elite in New York. I'm not talking about that, the pantheon of limousine liberals. I'm talking about the working man. Every working man, whatever color, creed, or, or, or religion, Whenever I and I would always ask everyone who you voting for it was always Trump. So everything stinks. OK, and it starts with election integrity. If we had that, we wouldn't have these problems. We wouldn't have these dictatorial uh, Schumer's and Pelosi's that never, ever leave office. They're like Stalin and yeah. Putin. They, they, we need term limits and we need to take control. The country is in free fall and the country is out of control. There you have it, Pamela Keller. Great to catch up with you. Thanks for your firm tough words. It's great to hear. Nice to see you, my friend. Thanks for having me. All right. There you have it, Pamela Geller. You can see her stuff at GellerReport.com. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back on my show last night. Bruce writes, Jason Kenney is an Ottawa man. We saw how he pulled the United Conservative Party leftward. He also doesn't want to use the separation card either. 
You know, Alberta was the best, best province in Canada on the lockdown until they panicked and became the worst province in Canada in regards to the lockdown, throwing four pastors in prison. Brutal, bizarre, unscientific lockdown superstitions, really. But now they've dropped all that other than their vengeance lawsuits against the pastors and some businessmen. But um, in terms of, other than those vengeance lawsuits, they're now the best again. It's whiplash over them. I think the rest of the country is going to try and break Alberta's spirit because if Alberta becomes like the Florida of Canada, the freest place where they don't bug you, you're going to see a lot of mobile talent move there. What I mean by that is um, if you can uproot from a lockdown place like Ontario is the worst, you will if you don't have deep attachments, if you have the kind of job that's rather portable. I think you're going to see Alberta become a magnet if they don't flop back. It's very much in the interest of the public health deep state to break Alberta again. But as Ron DeSantis showed in Florida, if you can just hold the line, if you can weather the storm, people will be with you. Forget what the public health deep state says. Daniel writes, the future of Alberta's relationship with Canada is complete separation. Well, I mean, that's what has been said for two generations now. I mean, it was Pierre Trudeau who brought in the National Energy Program that spawned the Western Canada concept that actually elected a provincial MLA. Preston Manning said the West wants in, let's try and fix that. Here we are, what, 40 years later, and not a lot has changed. So how long is the future going to be separatism? Eugene writes, if Alberta separates from Canada, I am moving there. Well, that's another thing. I mean, if, if, will Alberta be free if it would be independent? I think in many ways it would be free from Ottawa's meddling, which is the worst bad faith meddling. But remember that so many of the disasters in that province were done to itself, including by the NDP, which were the government for four years. That's our story for today. It's our show. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.